So tonight we're going to close it out, and uh, we're really excited about this scripture. Um, we've walked verse by verse through the 13 chapters of 2 Corinthians. And tonight's message is just so perfect to wrap everything up, uh, which, because it's all about examining. Examine me, right? You guys are being examined this week. How much do you know about calculus? You're like, nothing. Thank you. Um, but when my, my wife and I, uh, Samantha, when we first got married, you can go to the next slide, we decided, as you should, to divide up the household chores. That's one of the things I teach in premarital counseling, is that's something you should do, you know. Uh, gone are the days where the, the wife needs to do every single thing in the house. It's my job to clean the toilets, uh, trash, I take out the trash, and anything in the yard, mowing limbs, I like using a chainsaw, it's fun. And uh, her, her responsibilities are just getting personal, laundry, food, you don't want me, I can do breakfast, I do breakfast sometimes, but I'm... Not a very good cook. And then floors. And every once in a while, I get the crazy ideas of doing, I'm like, oh, I'll be a thoughtful husband. And I'll do the chore for her. And then I, I do the chore for, for her, like laundry, and it goes awful. For instance, I had a favorite shirt of mine five or six years ago. And I washed the clothes like a good husband and didn't take the pen out of my jeans pocket, and it ended up with a giant black spot on my favorite shirt, which ruined it. Uh, and I have another, lots of others, and which subsequently led to my laundry ban. You guys ever had a laundry ban? I have a laundry ban right now. I'm not allowed to do laundry. I still do it from time to time, and it goes awful again, and then and we have a conversation about that. But she asked me something like, what were you thinking washing that load of clothes with a pen in your pocket? Which I respond, I wasn't, right? Is that what you say when someone asks you that question? I wasn't thinking. Um, but things like this uh, have happened. And if I had taken the time to examine all the clothes, that wouldn't have happened. I would have found the pin, no problem. I take it out. I'm a hero. I just did a good thing. But instead, I end up with a band. And we even got a new washer and dryer last year. I can't even, they're, they're wonderful. Anyway. Um, but I think maybe you've done something similar in your life, but maybe more significant than, than what I did. Uh, you failed to sit down and examine your life before you made a big decision, and it didn't go well. And we were talking, the three of us, and we just really believe that this is true of all of us. Nobody's exempt from this. Uh, but I just don't think we know ourselves very well. I, I think we know a lot of facts about ourselves. You, you know the, all the facts, you know where you were born, you know, how old you are, your, hopefully you know your social security number. Maybe you don't. Um, your mom does, maybe. Um, but, you know, we know a lot of things about ourselves, but we really don't know ourselves. And then we don't ask ourselves the right questions to get to know ourselves. And it was Socrates that said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And so we've, we've ruined more than just t-shirts with our insistence on not examining ourselves. So as we get into the passage tonight, we want you just to think about this whole idea of getting to know yourself, knowing who you are, knowing who Jesus is, and know who is surrounding you, okay? And these are the things that, you made it. Wow. She's supposed to be on a plane. Wow. And that's significant for later. She wasn't supposed to be here, um, but not to ruin the message. 
Christina's going to read verses 1 through 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Alrighty, 2 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 4. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we live with him in our dealing with you. So good. So uh, the first part is just examining the Savior, examining Jesus. Buddy the Elf says that what is his favorite? Smiling. Smiling is my favorite. I can't believe you guys didn't get that. Uh, anyway, uh, you should watch that movie again, maybe, or for the first time. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about at all? Okay, somebody. All right. I'm not like, wow, I'm going crazy. Um, but, but Buddy Elf says smiling is his favorite, and I can tell you what my, my favorite is not. My favorite is not confrontation. Who likes confrontation? Uh, all of us in here like to die inside. Some of you actually like it. You're like... Give me the pen. Let me write Second Corinthians, you know. Um, but most of us, we just don't like it. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Maybe we're big about confrontation until someone's up in our face that, that uh, you know, we've wanted to say all these things to, and then we can't say it, right? Um, when I was 25, I just started as a, a worship pastor in Pendleton. I was there in that position for 10 years before I went full-time with CSF. And one of the first things at age 25 that they had me do is they had a worship team member who was showing up on Sundays uh, hungover, uh, smelling like alcohol. And at the time, we, <laughs> he was actually leading the music, and I was supposed to be taking over for him. Little did I know I was going to have to ask him to step down from the worship team. I wanted to die. I did not want to have that conversation. I was like, this guy's going to hate me. He doesn't even know me. I'm 25. What do I even know about alcoholism and different things, and so I sit down with them, and I'm, I'm you, you ever have that conversation where you're just like, uh, you know, you're like going to puke, because it's so awful, and, and I said, man, we just really can't have you coming in here on Sunday mornings smelling like alcohol, it's like people are coming up to me wondering if you're okay, and, and uh, he was like, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I know, I was like, oh. <laughs> It's the worst when you have those conversations where someone's like, what? You know, and you're like, oh. Um, but I think that this, this is what Paul is kind of getting at with this first part of our scripture. He's finally coming for visit number three. And as we learn in chapter 12, part of him is dreading having this visit. He does not want to have this conversation with these people because he's afraid of, remember he, missed, he list, listed eight things that he was afraid of and three things that were already existing. The guy is just tied up in knots about this. And when he says the thing about the third witness in the scripture that Christina read, he's probably talking about his third visit to Corinth. He says, a testimony cannot be confirmed unless it's had three witnesses. Visit number one, didn't go well. Visit number two, didn't go well. I don't want to do visit number three, so I'm going to write 2 Corinthians. Okay? So, uh, 
this is his, going to be his third witness. And they're going to finally get their proof of the, his authority of a, as an apostle, but they aren't going like, to like it. And even though Paul has been unimpressive to them, like they don't like that he's a common day laborer. They don't like that he does tents. They don't like that he won't take money from them. They want someone more prestigious, affluent. He just, they don't like, they're like, this guy, you know, we want a different apostle that's going to be more impressive. But this time he, he's going, the punishment that they're going to receive unless they change their ways is not going to be good. And he says that God is mighty in you. And the word for mighty is dunateo, which means, which speaks to the ability of God. And he actually says in the scripture, it's so good, I don't know if you caught this, that Jesus was crucified in weakness, but he was raised in power. And so even though Jesus is weak on the cross, he's exposed, he's bleeding out, he's dying, gasping for air on the third day, he would show just how powerful he was. Actually, he's like, it's going to not go well. Christ is going to be powerful among you, and you're not going to like it. And he actually said, he asked them this question. He says, do you want judgment? And I think all of us in this room would say, no, I don't want judgment. But the big question was, were they willing to do what it was going to take to avoid the judgment of God? And I know we don't often talk about it like this, but examining Jesus and his ability to judge us should drive us far from a lifestyle of sin and pride. And we don't always like to think of Jesus like that, the judge, the righteous judge. But again and again in the New Testament, that's the language that's used of Jesus. He's the only one that can judge. He's the only one with the authority. He's the only one that is perfect. The only one that reigns supreme and defeated death. I'd say he's earned the right to be the righteous judge. I don't want anybody else judging me other than Jesus. Amen? And he's the one who knows me in and out. And, and I, he's covered me with his blood. And I, I think this is kind of interesting. That the examined life first looks to the Savior and the result is worship. Okay? And I think sometimes we only, think when we only have two conversations. It's either flattery. We talked about this a lot in our conversation. It's either flattery or like super nasty to someone. And that's just not true. Both of those are very destructive. If we're always flattering someone, <laughs> and we can't ever actually tell them the truth. And if we're always like bashing on them, then we can't actually make a connection with them. And so Paul, he somehow does both. <laughs> he, he, like, he comes in and he, he does a great job of communicating with these people. So let's uh, read the next uh, part of our scripture. And so Luke is going to read our next scripture, and he's also going to tell a story to kind of illustrate the, the scripture. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent. That when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority of the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. I think that's a really cool passage. And I think that uh, 
over the past couple weeks, we've really been diving into it. And at my house, I've really been working on it. And obviously, I went over it with my parents and my grandpa who lives with me. But I went over it with my little brother one time. Uh, my little brother is 16 years old, and he has a processing disorder. So most of the things are a little bit slow for him. Um, and he puts things in very, very basic terms. And when I gave this to him, he was like, oh, I know what that is, obviously. Paul's just sending a hop to text. And I was like, a what? A hop to text. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been in this situation, but your parents leave, right? But they say you need to do about three or four things while they're gone. And you don't accomplish them. But then about 30 minutes before they get back, they send you that text saying, oh, has, has you done the, do the dishes or the laundry or whatever? The hop to text. Get off your butt and go get it done. That's what Paul's doing here. He's simply just saying, I've sent you these things. Have you accomplished them yet? I'm coming. I don't want to have to come back with authority, but I will if it has to. And another one of the things that my little brother was confused on was why they used the words examine and test, and why didn't they just use the same basic term? In his mind, it was the exact same thing. But the contrast is when you're examining something, you're really grading it, like you would grade a fine wine or, or a rock or a Pokemon card, as he described. But when you're testing something, you're prototyping it. You're building it. You're putting it against the test. You're using the absolute maximum that you can. You want to see if the results are there. They're two different things entirely. And in our lives, we really need to use that as well. We can't just say that it's a final and go and try our absolute best to memorize the book. But we have to grade it. We have to prototype. We have to really put ourselves up against it. And I wanted to share a personal story because when I read this, I immediately thought of this story of my life that perfectly exampled. So when I was in high school, I was a big 4-H kid, and I absolutely loved it. But it was one of those things where there were certain projects that were really good and others that weren't. But I was in food for the whole 10 years, which for those of you who know anything about 4-H food, basically we just all bake. And none of it is delicious, but it all looks really good for a week at the fairground, and it just sits there, and it grows old, and it's kind of gross. And as a guy, it always bothered me that there were these women who would come with absolutely fantastic baked goods. Like one year we had to make biscuits, and I thought I did a great job of getting the yeast to rise. And they came with like Cheddar Bay biscuits and chocolate biscuits, and my little thing was just sitting there looking like a snowball. But this one year, I was 16 years old, and we had to bake pies, which I thought I was sick and tired of losing. This is the year I'm going to win. And so I prepared, and I prepared, and I actually went to local bakeries, and I learned how to make pies, and my last name is Raspberry, so I thought, obviously, I have to make a Razzleberry pie, just a given. And so I do this, and I'm preparing, and it all goes really well. And the week of the fair comes, and I made a pie every single day, the entire week. My family was so sick of eating Razzleberry pies, but they were so good. I was having a great time. And the night before the fair comes, and I bake a pie, and I lattice it up real fancy, and I charmandered the top, and it was so good. And I thought, tomorrow I'm about to win. But there was a catch. So the fair judging is at 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, I was at the time like the vice president of junior leaders or something. So I had to get there at like 6 o'clock to lead a meeting. So it means I have to judge my pie at like 5.30 a.m. And me being me thought, well, I obviously have to make a fresh pie. I can't serve them the pie I made last night because that won't be fresh and delicious. So I get up at like 2 or 3 in the morning to bake this pie, which already was a questionable decision. But it goes well. I was like, awesome, I made a pie, great. Thought nothing of it. I borrowed this really, really fancy cake decorator thing 
that like you put the pie in and put the lid on. It looked like I was carrying a bomb. It was fantastic. I walk into the fairgrounds confident. I go to judge my pie. It's all going well. I'm on like one hour of sleep, running the fair, all great things. And I'm super excited. I hand the lady my pie. She's going to cut herself a slice. It all goes well. And as she cuts into my pie, I realized I have made one critical error that hadn't occurred to me the entire week of baking pies. The whole prep time, nothing was wrong. I realized this morning I never turned the oven on. And this lady was about to judge me on a pie soup. And me being me, just thinking, well, I have to save this at some capacity. So I was like, oh, it's just a little al dente. It's fine. It won't hurt you at all. And as she plops it onto my plate, it just goes bloop. So needless to say, I didn't win. But I had a great time. <laughs> and I think that this example is really great because Sometimes our heart is in the right place, right? Like we all know the right answers and we know how to live the Christian life and we all go through the motions. But sometimes just one little thing, like not turning on the oven, can completely change the result that you're going to get. You can have the perfect lattice and the perfect ingredients, the perfect recipe and all the training in the world. But if your heart isn't in the right place, is it really going to accomplish that same result that you're looking for? And I think that this is a perfect example uh, that Paul's talking about here is that it doesn't matter how perfectly you know all the answers, but if your heart's not in the right place, well, then you're just going to have a pie soup, and that's not great. We have a picture. We have a picture of the pie. We have a, and we don't have a picture. Oh, darn it. Oh, Shame. I'll send it to you later. Okay, so this is perfect, but Paul, Paul tells these Christians in Corinth to test and examine themselves. Those seem like the same thing. But the word for test, uh, it, is, it means to learn character by testing. I love that. Learn character by testing. The word used for examine means to try and learn the genuineness of something. This is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he's talking to them about communion. Each of you must examine yourselves before eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. And he actually said in that scripture, this is the reason, because you're not examining yourselves, and you're getting drunk on uh, what is representing the blood of Christ, <laughs> which is bad, and some of you are sick and some of you have died. I mean, that's exactly what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is a super intense thing to think about. But here's the thing. Paul is convinced that they were not going to fail the test. Isn't this interesting? He does it again to us. This entire time, he's like, I'm really worried. I'm really worried. I'm really worried. And then he goes, I have so much faith in you. I think that you're going to pass this test. He truly believes that they just need to course correct. And all is not lost. And he actually says, we won't fail. We won't fail. Don't you love that vision casting that he does? In the midst of so much negativity, and we think all hope is lost, he's down on him, down on him, down on him, down on him. And then he's like, you won't fail. I just, I absolutely love that. And his prayer for them is that they fall into the right and complete maturation. Uh, why? Because the truth is meant to build us up and not to tear us down, is what he said. 
That's what the truth is meant to do. It comes in, and it seems like it's just going to ruin us. It's just going to tell us what to do, tell us how to do it, and then it, the truth of God comes in and just gives us a brand new life. And I, ho- I hope you've experienced that. So when you, when you do a deep dive into your life and you think about who you are, we talked about that question at the very beginning, do we know who we really are? And we, if we do a deep dive, um, what do you usually find? If you do that at all. I think most of the time I don't, like to, I don't do this because I'm going too fast. I don't ever ask those questions. I'm just doing things. I'm a big to-do list person. So as long as I'm checking things off my to-do list, I don't really have to worry about much about who I am. Um, but Paul thinks it's very, very important. But if Paul and Jesus can speak directly to you tonight, they would say that they see hope in you. I think that's really encouraging. Because I think in the times where we think all is lost, uh, it's actually not all lost. So let's uh, read the last part of our scripture tonight, verses 11 through 14. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All right. So um, you can go ahead and put the picture, Rebecca. Okay. So I'll just start by prefacing with my big idea is that I believe that everybody needs a Rebecca in their life. So that's your take-home point for this evening, find a Rebecca. And no, I don't mean someone named Rebecca, as I'm sure most of you know, but rather I mean a brother and or sister in Christ who is like the Rebecca that I have in my life. And so for a little more context, Rebecca is a very dear friend of mine. And we've been friends since freshman year. We both met in North Hall. I invited her to the first impact, what CSF used to be called, um, worship night. And then we joined the same life group. I got to see her get baptized. Um, We had a whole journey together. And then now we're serving in the children's ministry at the same church together. And um, the reason that I'm bringing this up, why I think we all should have Rebecca, is because in the verses that we just read, um, what stood out to me was the encourage one another, so, and be, in what, be of one mind. And so the reason why I want you all to find a Rebecca is because she and I have not only become great friends over these past four years, but also spiritual accountability partners. We know one another inside and out. And we've cried together, we've laughed together, we've cooked together, we've lived together, we're going to live together <laughs> up in the fall, summer, whatever time. Um, but I, and I can't even number them, name the amount of times that she's just come over this semester just to talk, chat, and just talk about life in general and spiritually as well. But I, I think the biggest thing is that we're unafraid to be honest with one another about sin in our lives, and we're able to be transparent about our personal struggles. And so to live the humble and the generous and the comfort life that we've been talking about all semester and tonight to live the best life, we need to find that accountability person. And for you, that might be a significant other, maybe your mom, your dad, brother, sister, mentor, best friend, whichever you choose. But just make sure that it's a good one. And make sure it's someone who's unafraid to be honest with you 
and make sure it's someone who's trustworthy and make sure it's someone who's really looking out for you spiritually. And so this summer, um, Rebecca called me out on a sin in my life and she was honest with me. And sure, you know, it was hard to hear like we talked about at the beginning, like those uncomfortable conversations. But I just know that she's a true friend because of her honesty and willingness to correct me. And I believe to really fulfill what the scripture instructs to encourage one another and be, in one, be of one mind, we need to band together and be united with the one goal, just one single goal, and that's to love God and to love others. And in loving God, we want to be obedient to him, and in loving others, that may mean kindly correcting them or humbly taking that correction. And so I want you all to find a Rebecca. You may already have one in your, in your life, and maybe you're searching or maybe you haven't thought about it, but I really encourage you to find that Rebecca in your life. The Corinthians had a lot of struggles and challenges, and they had one Paul to call them out. The Corinthians only needed that one Paul. And so I value and cling to my one Rebecca, because truthfully, it's like finding a rare jewel. We don't need a hundred Rebeccas, we only need one. crazy thing was is that Rebecca wasn't supposed to be here. She's supposed to be on an airplane right now. She's been in a tropical area without us. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but, but one of the things that we remarked, and we're, we're thinking about this last one, is examine your future. Uh, one of the things we remarked as we prepared is how Paul doesn't just say, examine Jesus, examine yourself, good luck. You know? He, he's so good at, well inspired by the Holy Spirit, surprise, surprise, he's so good at this. But he, he tells us to examine Jesus, examine ourselves, and then here he, he like gives us all this practical, hit-the-ground-running advice. Um, and these are the things that have helped him in his travels across the fir- first century Mediterranean Sea, preaching the good news about Jesus crucified and Jesus risen from the dead. And that's really what he was doing all across the Mediterranean. And so he gives, this is so cool, he gives these seven things, uh, surprise, surprise, about the seven. Uh, the first, he says, rejoice. He doesn't say, if you feel like during finals week, even though you're really mad at the world, if you feel like rejoicing, rejoice. He just says rejoice. He doesn't like, I, I, it's just like, a, he says, he acts like it's the decision that you get to make every day. Uh, Seventy-four times in the New Testament we see this word rejoice. He says, be made complete, number two, um, which means to be made adequate or fully trained. Number three, he says, be comforted, parakaleo. This is the the word that's used of the Holy Spirit coming alongside us um, to help us. We'll learn more about that next semester. Number four, he talked about being like-minded, not always agreeing on everything, but being on the same page on the most important things. I, I, I think that this is so important today, especially among Christians and in our world today. You want to talk about standing out, making a difference, looking different than the world? Be like-minded. And uh, live in peace. This is a, a very common Greek word in the New Testament as well, which means just this perfect calm. And he says that the God of love and peace will be with you. He's like, if you make a decision on these first five things, the God of love and peace will be with you. 
And I think so many times we say, well, this is out of my control. This is out of my control. This is out of my control. And that is true. There are a lot of things out of your control. You can't control if your professor is a narcissist or if you can't get the material or if they're teaching it the wrong way or anatomy is the worst class in the world or whatever. We, 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 can't, we can't control those things. What we can control is these five things right here. We can say, I'm going to rejoice in the midst of this. And I don't care how bad I feel or how awful I feel. And I want to go to church or I want to turn on Christian music. I want to listen to music that's depressing. I'm going to turn it on. I'm going to turn it up. And I'm going to sing as loud as I possibly can. Okay? That's a decision you can make. Um, and then he's, the seventh thing is kind of a little awkward for us. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, now. I didn't know that. Uh, may we probably have more people here tonight if we would have made this more aware of what's going on. Is it, does this come with your uh, autographed uh, picture, Michael? Okay. Um, okay. Five times in Paul's letter, he says this thing about greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, when I was in the Dominican Republic doing mission work after I graduated from college, um, I noticed that everywhere we went, no matter we were in the market, we were on the street, we were in a cab, we were what, at church or whatever, if you saw another Christian that was from your church, you would say, Dios te bendiga, which means... God bless you. And it was like you were telling everybody around you that this person is my brother and my sister in Christ. And that's what they were doing in the New Testament. Uh, see, kissing in public was like a big no-no in Roman culture. And then it became more common later on for a greeting. Uh, but the Christians were like, number one, number one they, were, they were worshiping all his equals, which was driving everyone crazy. And then they were saying, not only that, but if, I, if I'm a... If I'm a, like a Roman centurion and I see a slave over here, I'm going to go treat them like, like an equal and give them a holy kiss. Okay? And they will know that everybody around knows that this is my brother, this is my sister. No matter who they are, how low they are, does not matter. They're equally valuable to Jesus. So when he says greet one another with a holy kiss, he's not talking about just going around inappropriately kissing people all the time. That will probably get you kicked out of IUPUI. But it does make me think, if I see one of you in the campus center, uh, what are we doing to make, make go out of our way to make sure that, that we acknowledge one another? I, I saw Rodri across the way in the campus center the other day, and I haven't told him this yet, but we used to look at each other and smiled. And it was like, it, just ma- it was one of the things that day that made my day. As I, I, he acknowledged me, I acknowledged him. We're not family by blood. But we, we are family in Jesus, and we are a strange family. We are, multi, we are diverse family, male, female. Uh, we have various gifts, and this is great. Um, but he closes with a Trinitarian ending. And so I don't know if you notice at the end of 2 Corinthians 13, but he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus... The love of God, which I view as the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. See what he does there? And we didn't plan this. Alex and I didn't. We, but we're ending on the, literally the Holy Spirit, and we're beginning on the Holy Spirit in January. And the bottom line is you will not rise to these seven that we've talked about. You will not remain connected to the three-in-one without a Rebecca. You don't need a hundred Rebecca's, you just need one. You just need to have one person that loves you enough to say, hey, this isn't right. Why are you acting this way? What's wrong? That My wife says that to me all the time. What's wrong? 
And I say, nothing's wrong. What's wrong? And then by the fifth time, I tell her what's wrong. And you need someone that's just going to kind of just, just kind of get, get you to repent, get you to realize your weakness. This is the beauty of Christianity. This is why we need each other. We're, we're sinful people. We need people to help us and encourage us. And so, this goes well with what you said, but the janitor at our church, when I worked there, we still attend church there, but he'd come up to me, he'd say these really weird things sometimes, and, but these are like two things about friends that he told me that I wrote down that I'll never forget. The first one was, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, you know, that's one of the things he would say all the time, which is so true. Uh, the friends that we keep, uh, we can just do a trajectory of where we're headed, um, and the second thing that he would always say, your friends are like an elevator. They'll either take you up or take you down, <laughs> which is also so true. Um, so I think a few things we can take from our study tonight. Number one, examine Jesus. Give him time. Number two, examine yourself. Even if you don't think you're going to like what you find, get in there. Really examine yourself. And then the third one is to invite someone in. And not just anybody. You just go on the street, IEPUI, hey, would you like to examine the sin in my life? You know, they're going to think you're crazy. But you got somebody in your life group that you've really connected with. You've got a, a maybe, maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe, I don't, I don't know who it is in your life that would be that for you. Maybe you don't have that person yet. Uh, that's something to be praying about and being open to it. But I really believe that this scripture has the ability to completely rearrange how you live your life. And sure, you're st- you'll still go to class. You'll still go to life group, church, work, etc., but you'll do all of them differently. I really believe that uh, when we can live your best life. This has been a great study. And here, Christina was really, really good about this. She said, you know, we look at all these 13 things and we say, uh, there's no way this is going to happen, the comfort life. To, you know, we talked about, you know, uh, tonight the examine life. All these things and in, in between, it's just too much. You can't do it on your own. You're just not going to make it if we don't have each other.